Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems that you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. Hey everyone and welcome. My guest today is Phil Town, the expert investor who famously turned $1,000 into $1.5 million in just five years. And that is so impressive. Phil turned his life around and he used to work as a rafting guide in the Grand Canyons, sleeping each night in a tent. And he now teaches investing. So welcome, Phil. I actually can't wait to hear what you have to say. So Tell me about life in a tent and how you went from there to where you are now. Let's start at the beginning, because I remember that song, I was born in a tent. You know the song they had at Barack Obama's inauguration, I was born in a tent by the river, and a change was going to come. So you lived in a tent by the river, and a change definitely came. Tell me how you did that. Yeah, it's it's definitely the path less traveled. I was uh, I think I was pretty traumatized uh, during the Vietnam War. I came back from Vietnam in 1972 and wow. dropped out in- instantly, and um, and got very lucky that I could get a job sort of out in the wilderness um, that uh, ultimately led to being a river guide in the Grand Canyon for ten years. And I lived in a teepee and had a Harley Davidson, grew my hair out really long and had an attitude <laughs> about, about everything and particularly about success. I thought people with money were pretty much a-holes and mm-hmm. that was partly my upbringing, blue collar, you know, railroad union worker family kind of group and, and uh, people who really thought someone who had a lot of wealth or was showing it off was not a good person. And um and so, you know, sort of being down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, I, I, I was enjoying my life all right. But in uh, 1980, I nearly drowned a guy who was a member of the board of directors of Outward Bound. And this is a group that takes, you know, kids that are in trouble in the city and takes them out in the wilderness and tries to tries to kind of intervene, you know, and get them started in a different way down. And um, we had taken these Outward Bound executives and trustees and and wealthy people down the canyon in kind of an outward bound trip. This guy that was a wealthy guy and had never been in these sort of really extreme situations was on my raft and I made a mistake on a rapid called Crystal, which is a 35 foot drop with 80,000 cubic feet of water going through it per second. And if you go over and hit that drop, you're gonna die. It's you, you go over 35 feet and the water will hold you under. And our boat got sucked over there. And we ended up finding a way around this thing just on pure luck and got over to the beach at the bottom. We, we were fine. And the first guy who got out of the boat fell down and threw up. He was so scared from what we just went through. And this other guy got out and gave me a bear hug and said, you saved my life. And I, you know, I said, no, you know, actually I said, yes, I did actually and laughed about it. And then, that night, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change your life, man. I am going to teach you to be an investor. He said, I've learned from Warren Buffett, and I'm going to teach you. And it made me a multimillionaire, and I'm going to teach you, and it's going to be great. And I said, I make $4,000 a year. I don't have any interest in being an investor. I don't even like investors. I was nicer than that, but that was what I was thinking. And for the next eight nights, while we were still out on this river trip, he kept pestering me to come and visit him in La Jolla, California. So that winter, I started freezing up in my teepee um, up in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I thought about this guy who had invited me to go to a warm place. I called him up and said, hey, I thought I'd come down and say hi. Invited me down. I spent two weeks with him and he convinced me to leave my 10 years as a guide behind and join him as an apprentice. And it was just one of these where it was just kind of time to change. I honestly can't explain it other than it was some Dharma shift or something that just happened right there. And it felt right. And I went there for a year and learned to do the investing that I do now. And it was incredible. I mean, it was just this huge change. And uh, that's what got me going. And what was it? What are the particular things that he taught you? Like, what did he, because we can all go on a course and learn to invest, but some people have amazing teachers. 
apprentices I've, I've taught a lot of traders because they're too scared to enter a trade. And then they're too, they, they enter it too late and they exit it too late. And trading has a lot to do with having immense confidence, know when to enter, when to exit. But what, what did you, I mean, I know you learned a lot, but are there any little key things that you think that, that changed my life? Well, that was the, those key things. Could you share with us some of the key things you learned that made you really one of the best traders? Well, sure. One, I mean, one of the most important things I learned, the, probably the most important was that my job was to find a $10 bill and buy it for $5. Mm -hmm. That was the key. And the second part or the, the sort of the corollary to that is that mostly what I should do is nothing. I should try to do nothing almost all the time. And then it, it's a kind of passive aggressiveness. It's like complete passivity, passivity, completely do nothing and then have a very aggressive action when the time is right. And um, that do nothing time period could last two or three years. It could last a month, it could last a week. It just is that when you're looking for $10 bills, they're not on the street corners. So that, that was the key thing, do nothing most of the time. And um, so those were the two kind of fundamental, oh, and the third one was always, always, always buy with this margin of safety. Never ever buy something you don't know the value of. So I don't trade per se. I, I basically am a long-term investor. Um, we like to buy things and hold them forever, and particularly if they're going to compound money for us at 20% a year while, while we're sitting there doing nothing. That's, that's what we like. But the principal way that I invest is, you know, wait for an opportunity like what happened last March with COVID, what happened in 2009 with the financial meltdown, and then just pounce with everything we've got. So yeah, I love what you're saying is do nothing, but then do everything, do nothing. Yeah. And then really do something with a capital S because yes. most people are either, well, I'm a nothing person or I'm a something person, but I've got to be both. I've got to be quiet and still like a cat really. And then pounce like a cat. You know, the cat can't always be pouncing. It can't always be quiet, but they're actually a very good skill set of being very quiet and then super aggressive. So I like that. Oh, I like that image of a cat. That That's yeah. really wonderful. Well, they're very still. I mean, I have cats. You know, they're totally still in the long run. I mean, I've watched lions a lot in Zimbabwe, and they're totally still. They, they don't move. And then all of a sudden, they really move. And yes. they go from still to aggressive. And I could see an, a, a trader doing that very still, lying in the long grass, and then be aggressive, and then be still again. I like it. I like it because they, there's one more thing that they do, um, I think, is that they know what they're after. Mm. And they're waiting very patiently for that yeah. very specific thing yeah. to show up. Yeah, exactly. They know. So you yeah. come across a lot of people who are intimidated by investing, really scared of making a mistake. And of course, when you're fearful, your mind empties. It's a bit like, I never understand the movies where someone holds a gun to someone's head and says, what's the combination of the safe? Because when you're nervous, your mind empties. I remember years ago, I got robbed and I was just kind of left on the sidewalk and I couldn't actually remember when the police came where I lived because my mind had gone blank completely. Mm -hmm. And they understood that and they kind of talked to me and then it all came back. But if you're scared of investing and you're nervous and then you have that thing where your mind empties because all the blood goes to your heart and says run, but you're not running from a, a lion, how do you help people that are intimidated or in fear about investing, especially when it comes to large amounts of money? Well, this is the key to investing the way I do it. And it's why so few people do what I do because the predominant emotion that creates an opportunity to buy wonderful businesses when they're on sale is fear, fear mm -hmm. all over the market. So when COVID hit, for example, there was fear everywhere and investors who know that companies will recover, we're gonna get past COVID someday, all these businesses that are wonderful will continue to be wonderful, they're gonna go through a dip. Those very investors, very rational, people that went to all the best schools, sold like there was no tomorrow coming because of fear. 
And that is our opportunity as a little guy. We have to use fear. In fact, we say basically, Marissa, that we buy fear, we sell greed. So that if there's a lot of fear, I've got to be in a position of confidence where I can be acting aggressively when everyone else is frozen. Now that's, that's quite an art actually. And it's right to the heart of what we do. So yeah, we, could, we can talk about that some more. But can you teach that? I get that that's what you do, but can you transmute that to other people? How can, can you teach them how to do that too? Yeah, I think we do. Um, we've taught thousands of people how to do this and, and the results are spectacular because the anecdote to fear is knowledge. Mm-hmm. So at least that's one, one way to go about it, right? Is to control your emotions with knowledge and try to stay rational. And so in order to do that, it'd be like this. Imagine you own a restaurant with a partner and your partner is now in this terrible emotional predicament where they're going through a divorce and they have to get money and they have to sell off their half of the restaurant. You have it appraised, it's appraised at a million dollars. So you each have half a million dollars worth of restaurant there but your partner is in a state of fear, doesn't know who they're gonna sell it to. It's not on the open market, who, who, and they're gonna come to you and say, Marissa, please, would you please, I really have to have you buy my share of this place. I know you don't have a lot of money um, available to just snap it up. So I'm gonna make you a deal. It's it's worth half a million, my half of it. I'll sell it to you for 250,000, but I need the money tomorrow. Would you do that for me? right? So here is somebody acting with a great deal of fear. Now, why wouldn't you be caught up in the fear? Well, the primary reason is that you understand why this business is going on sale, number one. Number two, you know the business very well. You're an owner of it and you're operating it. So you know the business well. You know it's worth a million dollars. So rather than being fearful of putting up a quarter million dollars, you're excited to put up a quarter million dollars. You just got a huge home run Mm -hmm. and you're gonna find the money someplace. So fear is the last thing you're dealing with. You're you're trying to just make sure you can get the deal put together. And that's how we teach. We look for a very small number of businesses that you can understand deeply as as an investor. And frankly, if you were to only buy 20 businesses in your entire lifetime, I'm quite certain if you did this the way we teach it, you'd be very rich. Those 20 businesses, if half of them do well, you're going to be very rich. So that's how we control emotion with knowledge. Because what you're doing is you're turning fear into excitement because of course the mind can't really tell the difference. That feeling in your stomach of the rocks and the somersaults, what is that? I say, if you look at the fun and see people on the big dipper going up and down and they're screaming, some of them are screaming because they love it and others because they're scared, but the feeling is the same. So you oh, are just really cool. you're turning fear into yeah. excitement. Because the mind doesn't really know what you're feeling. And you can tell it, I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I'm excited. You know, I saw that with a lot of my clients, especially actors who would put needles in their arms because they wanted to get high. I can also understand that if you want something so much, that becomes exciting. Like Someone who wants to have the whole sleeve of their arm tattoo doesn't go, does it hurt? They go, yeah, my whole arm is going to be a sleeve. And so when you can learn to be excited about something, it's amazing. In the 80s, I was a dance teacher at Pineapple Dance in London and then for Jane Fonda. And one of the teachers there said, because it became the AIDS epidemic, bought shares in condoms. I mean, that was just so clever because she could see what was going to happen. We're all terrified of AIDS. Everyone's going to start to use condoms. People didn't have safe sex. Whether it was on the pill, it was like unnecessary. But a dancer read that market and she made so much money from that. And that was just intuition and being smart and saying, well, I can see something coming here, which is, I guess it's like if you could have seen, like people now are making money from making face masks and in COVID, making things that people really, really want. So reading the market but turning the, instead of being fearful, being excited, because it really is the same feeling, it's how you interpret it that counts. It's so brilliant because it's a, it's a shift of the mindset. And it's one of the things that we use to determine whether in fact you're doing your investing properly yeah. is how, do you, how are your emotions? So 
for example, if you buy a company and let's say you pay $100 a share and the company price goes down to $50, are you excited because it's down to $50 or are you very upset? If you've done it properly, when you bought it, it was worth 200. Remember, we're trying to buy $10 bills for $5. So if nothing has changed in the story about the company, when that $10 bill goes down to $2, you should be thrilled, not scared, right? Because if you can get your hands on another $2, you just got a huge score. And so one of the ways that we can test very quickly whether we've really done the homework, whether we really do understand that condoms and AIDS are going to be a home run and this is the right company to buy into is to check your emotions as the price is dropping. We want the price to drop. We want to see it down lower. Just the way someone wants to see the price drop of, you know, hamburgers if they like hamburger or or whatever their favorite food is, they want to see the price go down, not up, because they're a consumer and we're a consumer of that company. We want to own all of it. And if they'll sell me that $10 bill for $5, I'll buy some. And if they sell me some more at two, I'm going to buy more. And if they sell me more at one, I'm really excited because I've just gotten a 10 to one return. Let me ask you another question, because this question is, is really important. You know, I, I believe that a lot of your beliefs about money are set before you're even five or six years old. We hear our parents saying, this, I can't find the money. I just don't know where the money is coming from, which is a very strange thing for a child to hear because nobody finds money. Mm. You actually have a gift and you monetize it. I remember my little girl many years ago saying, mommy, you don't need to fight with daddy about money because if you go into a bank, they just give it to you because that was her. She saw me go to the bank, give them some paper and they gave me money. She saw me put a bit of plastic in a wall and the wall gave me money. And I was very aware with her to not give her these beliefs. I was a single parent. In fact, I was in a lot of debt. And she said, mommy, are we rich? I go, darling, we're so wealthy. We are wealthy. We are abundant, we have so much. I never talked about money, but I gave her this belief. And if she asked for something, I could say, well, you know, you, what could you do to earn that? So she wanted this particular toy. And I said, but you have to get a hundred stars. And so I she had to empty the dishwasher. Of course she'd crack dishes, but it was very important. I made her feel she could earn something. And I noticed with her that when she got the hundred stars and we got the toys, never even played with it. She wanted to get another hundred stars because she was learning, oh, I can turn something, I can earn my own money and buy stuff. And But I see a lot of people who have these very strange beliefs, money slips through my fingers. I don't know where the money's coming from. Mm. I haven't got enough week to last my money. So I'd love to know what your beliefs about money were growing up. What did you absorb and inherit, particularly see and witness as a child about money and income? Yeah, I think I had extremely limiting beliefs about money. My, as I said, my family, I mean, we're we're sort of rednecks out of Arkansas, and 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 then they all moved out to Oregon during the Depression. You know, my mother was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I mean, we we're basically right out of the grapes of wrath. <laughs> so it's just this very limiting belief that not even about money, not only about money, but about the people who have it, and they're just different and not necessarily good people because they have money. So that's extraordinarily limiting belief. And it's amazing that I actually became wealthy. I'm the first person in my family that did so. And it was a breakout and it was a breakout over, I mean, just because of this, this mentor that I got took me under his wing and started crushing these beliefs. I was very, very fortunate. I had, I had a couple of mentors back there in the 1980s that the other one, that was so important to me in this regard of beliefs was Dr. Jonas Salk, who developed a Salk polio vaccine and was in uh, near La Jolla, California then in those days at the Salk Institute. And just one, one of these, you know, wonderful serendipitous moments, I met his son at a meditation course I was in Mm -hmm. and Peter and I got along and he introduced me to his father. And the next thing I know I'm being mentored to a degree um, as I'm putting money into an investment that, that Peter and Dr. Salk are in. And so he basically told me, look, you need to change the way you're thinking about things. You have goals. 
and goals are shit basically. And he said, the reason is, is because goals are just an intention and intentions just, that's the way you pave the, the, the road to hell with intentions. He says, I could have never developed the salt polio vaccine, which is based on science that didn't exist, which developing a killed vaccine into, or a killed virus into a vaccine. Could have never done it if I hadn't made a full commitment, a burn the ships. This is, I will die before I stop here. I learned to transcend, which I think is one of the most critical things I've ever done um, and for a long time, I thought it was something that just, you know, you had to be a meditation person to transcend, or maybe you had to be hypnotized to transcend. And by transcend, I mean, you go beyond thinking process, which I'm, you're an expert in. And, and what I found was that over these many years is that people transcend all kinds of ways. Kobe Bryant talked about it playing basketball, getting into the zone and being in that state of, you know, I'm not even doing this and it's just happening around me. And that state of transcendence turns out to be something that uh, very, very good investors either have just naturally figured out or they've learned to do it, to go beyond so that another technique for moving past fear, for staying rational, for sort of staying in the zone um, that I learned from these guys. So those are, those are two big things that aren't directly on, on the notion of changing my mind about money. But over time, my mind changed about money. I became fine with it. Yeah, you had you got a money mindset because I find that a lot of people have this belief that hey, I've read the secret. I'm just going to manifest. I'm just going to sit at home and, and manifest money, <laughs> and they don't quite understand that that's not enough. Another thing, I'm going to work really hard and make money. I've got a restaurant. I'm working so hard. I worked so hard, but I never made the money. And I always say you have to have three things. The first is you must believe you're worth that money. If you don't believe you're worth it, you'll get it and get rid of it. We know that 70% of lottery winners are bankrupt in three years. I see that a lot of rock stars. Like, well, I just got it so easily that I don't value it. And I've just seemed to have got rid of it all. So you, you have to believe that you're worth it so that you can keep it. And then the second thing you have to believe is that you, you have a gift that you can monetize and you have to have confidence, but you must have to be able to work hard too. So many people get really confused at the last bit. They think, well, I don't have to work. I mean, because I'm manifesting, but if you if you work hard without the belief, you probably never make it. But if you have the belief and don't work hard, you probably also might never make it. But if you combine those two, belief and talent, you see, belief, the talent can get you further. Well, the belief will get you further than the talent if you really have it. We see that all the time with the reality TV stars who've got no talent, but enormous self-belief. Other people have great talent, but no self-belief and they don't get very far. But if you have two, I've got a belief that I've got something and I'm prepared to work really, really hard. And I've got the mindset, this money mindset, I'm worth it, I deserve it, and I'm going to do good things with it. Then you almost become unstoppable. Oh, you, you're bang on. You are so on it. Jim Collins is an author I really like who wrote a book called Good to Great a long, a long time ago. And one of the things he pointed out was that that companies that move themselves from being mediocre to great went through a similar process of thinking about this. They said, look, first off, we have to figure out what do we have a gift for doing? What is what is our gift? What, are we, what could we be the best in the world at? So that's their talent, right? Mm -hmm. And then second, you know, um, what uh, are we passionate about doing? What, what do we... Can we combine what we're passionate about doing with what we're talented at doing? And, and will we, and how will the money come from that? Right. So those three things they looked at and Jim said, he went back and kind of showed this to his wife, all this research. And, and she said, my God, Jim, I can do this. My, in my own life, she was a triathlete. And she said, I'm completely passionate about triathlons. I think I have the talent to be world-class. And if I am, Nike will sponsor me, the money will come. And she went on to win the Ironman. 
wow. on the basis of this thing. Yeah, I mean, you're you're so on the uh, right on it, on the money, exactly. Well, that's probably because I spend a lot of time working with people who have really strange beliefs. You know, I worked with an accountant once who actually couldn't bill her own clients, which was so bizarre. She said, I just, I, I can't bill them. But when I talked to her, she said, you know, my parents are both doctors and they divorced. And it was a very bitter divorce. And my mother had more money than my father. But she always wanted to punish him. So you say to me every Saturday when I say, ask your dad, tell him you need $100 for a school trip and do not come back without that money. Tell him you need new school shoes and they're $100. And every week my dad would look at me so sad because he knew it wasn't true, but he also knew what she was like. And he'd give me the money with this sad look. And I remember thinking, I never ask anyone. When I grow up, I'm never, ever, ever going to ask for money ever again. And that's not a fleeting thought. Because it happened every week, it became a fixed belief, a fixed belief. I will never ask people for money. Another client was telling me that she had so many businesses and she just couldn't make money. And she told me that every year they go to India and her mother was saying, give your, this little girl in the street your toys because they've got nothing and give her your favorite shoes. And she said, I had a thought, if I never have anything no one could take it because for a kid parting with your favorite doll is is heartbreaking that's like your little baby yeah and she believed if i never have anything nobody will ever take it away and and that belief as odd as it sounds caused her to unconsciously sabotage every business she had Mm. another one said you know i watched my father come home from work and take antacids and hold his head and go that's the price you pay for having your own business constant mm. migraine stress mm. I, I don't want a business if that's what it does i i want to live without money and many clients don't even know they have these fixed beliefs but then they kind of cancel i want to be rich but you pay a price that's too high i want money but nobody likes you if you have money. i want to be rich but people think rich people have sold their soul to the devil and i find you have to go back and kind of extract these beliefs that maybe made sense when you're a kid. Like a lot of women say, but if you're rich, guys don't like, I saw some, some reason, you said, I'm so successful, I can't find a guy. They don't like women, I've got my own TV show and I can't find a guy because they don't like women who have more money than them. And she believes that the field for her to find someone is tiny, but you know, we make our beliefs and then they turn right around and make us. So you, do you find that you can change people's perspective? And then when they change their perspective, that they find opportunities. Is, is that something that you come across? I'm just writing down everything you say. <laughs> oh, that's so These nice. are such you. great notes. Well, such so great funny, notes. The things that people come up with, because I use hypnosis to just unpick their money beliefs and sometimes I make them when I'm teaching a whole class I say I want you to shout out your beliefs and oh, money doesn't grow on trees um I can't find money and when I make them say so let's change that now to energy if I have too much energy someone else doesn't have enough energy nobody likes you if you've got energy the more well you never know who your friends are when you have energy when they switch it to energy they think it's the kind of dumb belief and then they finally start to give it up but it's interesting that you know our mind is so wired to return to what it knows that I've worked with so many people who had money particularly rock stars and they get rid of all of it so quickly because it's so unfamiliar and I tell everyone this story my brother you know I came from a near my parents sent my brother to a paid school because he was the son And I went to an unpaid school because I was the daughter and they put all their money into his education and nothing into mine. I actually am way wealthier than he is. But he used to do math at school and they'd say things like, you have eight companies and you sell four. How many of you got left? Well, the answer is four, but that message was so subtle. Mm -hmm. You sell four of your, how successful, you've got eight companies and you sell four. So all the time they are wiring these kids in the private school system to believe that they've got all these companies and never say like, well, we're not, the, we don't have money. We, we're not those kind of people. We're ne- I, we can't get enough money. It costs too much money. Because my little girl on Christmas was talking about what she wanted. She wanted a Cinderella palace and a horse and a swimming pool. Because of course, when they're that little, when you're, when you're in the womb, 
You have everything. You've got 24-hour room service. It's always 80 degrees. You have a belief you can have everything. And, and babies are born like that. And when I said to her, darling, a horse is very expensive. She looked at me and she went, mommy, you don't buy the stuff. The elves make it and they give you anything you want because they come onto the planet with such abundance. I can have anything. And if you teach them, well, you can, but you got to work and do stuff and find out what your gift is and really enjoy it, then that really, but so often we suppress these little beings by saying, well, that's too much money. I can't afford that. Who do you think you are? You know, I see parents and they're going, hey, go and pick some candy. The kid comes up with a big box and they go, who do you think you are? I can't afford that. Don't embarrass me. Don't ask. And here's the thing they say, I, I want never gets, which is a terrible way of shutting down that belief of I want does get if I decide how to monetize something. And so I'm That's, um, amazing. That's yeah. amazing because I'm just thinking of my life now. And I mean, from, from where I began, from where my family began. And now I live on a almost a thousand acre horse farm, maybe half an hour south of the Atlanta airport with I think something in the ballpark of 45 horses that are being raised to go to the Olympic teams. My wife is the reason, I I mean, honestly think that my life is like that specifically because she has this amazing ability to bring to herself everything she desires. And what I've learned is that Another great way to have a great life is to have a great partner in Mm. your life who is able to manifest their dreams. I mean, in other words, I'm pretty rational and, you know, I sort of, I mean, I I do work at what I do and that's a lot of reading and a lot of thinking and a lot of numbers, right? Yeah. Um, Where Melissa is a Shakti goddess who just Ritam Bara Pragyams everything and just Boom. It just comes. I'm, we're on this farm because she drove by it a couple of times and decided that'd be a lovely farm to own. And the next thing I know, it's it's a bank trying to sell it in the middle of a recession. And we, we bought it for a song. And it's just that ability I've seen over and over and over again. And what I've learned is to protect her heart so that she is full and overflowing and never starting to brick things up from being untrusting. And so if she's full, open, trusting, believing in me, knowing I'm there 1000% with her, man, the floodgates open and, and all sorts of things begin to manifest. If on the other hand, we're in a fight and, and she doesn't trust me for some reason, or if I've gone off with some other woman and now she has every reason not to trust me and, 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 and doesn't and can't. And then that all locks down and shrinks. And it's almost like if your partner in your life, your partner in your life is either going to support you or they're going to kill you materially. Yeah. It's going to either going to get a lot bigger, or it's going to get a lot smaller. And, and you really want it a lot bigger. You want to protect that softest level in her that or in him, whoever your partner is, that will allow them to just manifest their dreams. And I'll tell you, man, it's a great, it's a great thing I've learned in my life to to do that. And also you work with horses and I find horses amazing because when you sit on a horse and you think about the horse and you think about being in tune with the horse, the horse picks up your thinking. My husband did this horse whispering where you're walking along and thinking about the horse and then you start to think of something else on the horse stops being connected to you because they, they very much tune in. Listen, for, for people who don't know about this, we had a, we have a number of our students come out here to the farm and one of them was in a wheelchair with his wife and has this Parkinson's disease in a late stage, which is this constant shaking. And he had been shaking for years and, and nonstop. And he asked to pet one of the horses and we brought over this horse named Tyron Oak, who's about 20 years old and one of the favorites on the farm, just deeply conscious horse, right? Just this empathetic animal that connects to everything around him. And this guy put his hand on Ty's neck and stopped shaking. And then his wife helped him stand up 
And I thought, I'm at some, I'm in a tent show here with some Christian evangelists. What is going on here? And as long as he kept his hand on this horse, he didn't shake. And his wife started crying and he started crying. And the whole time it was just this empathetic animal connecting with this guy on a deep level. And I'm, I'm a total believer, honest to God. One of our riders is Becky Holder, who's from the U.S. Olympic team. And we were watching Becky ride one of our horses and she would have him in this big gallop. And then she would come to a fence and he would just collect himself up and he would just jump over the fence beautifully. And then you big gallop to the next fence. And I asked Becky in front of this audience what she was communicating to the horse with her aids, right? Her hands, her feet, her legs, her seat, her butt, all that. And she goes, I don't know. So I just, I just think it and he does it. Yeah. I just that, think it and yeah. he does it. Thank you. And I love that because, you know, whether it's a horse or a person, we don't realize that thoughts are things, that there's something called the universal brain. You think about someone and they pick it up. People pick up your anger. They pick up your sadness. They pick up your joy. They pick up a, a sexual attraction with not a word being said because our thoughts are an energy that go out from us and back to us. And so when you're going into a meeting, and you're going to invest is one of the most important things is apart from getting is to sit and think, everybody wants to invest in me. I've got something amazing. You love me. And if you can really get that wired in before you walk in the room, but you can't fake it. It's not about, hey, I'm so great. And it's about really coding that into yourself. And when you yeah. do that, walk in, people pick up about you what you pick up about you. And of course, if you're on a horse and you believe in the horse and you're thinking, wow, this horse can do anything, the horse will pick that up. But if you get on a horse with fear, they don't even like that. They, they want you to get off because when I was teaching my little girl to ride, I said, darling, when you're riding a horse, you must look at its ears because when the ears go back, it means it's nervous. And she looked at the ears. When they went back, she leant forward and she pushed them forwards again because she thought, well, I just put his ears back and it'll be fine but actually right. that worked because she was putting in the physiology of a happy horse oh, that's so cool and that's but only a child could do that and i don't go oh my god the ears have gone back the horse is anxious but she went well i just move the ears back to unanxious and we'll both be happy and people horses read us and we read oh, them but they people do. read us and they read when we're faking they read when we're scared they read when we're anxious and all you have to do is go hey I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to go to meet these investors. This is exciting. They're going to see how amazing I am. Because of course you can say they're going to see how terrified I am. <laughs> you know, you get a choice every day. Rationalize why you feel so bad or talk yourself out of it. You get to choose. You can choose twice in every minute because you change the way you think then you change the way you act. And you can do that in a second, in a minute, in a day, or sometimes in a lifetime. But so many people are trying to, I got to read up on facts. Well, that's important. You see people going on Shark Tank and they are very prepared, but it's the mental preparation of radiate unshakable self-belief in who you are and what you have to offer. And I think that's sometimes more important or at least as important as the actual what do you know? What have you learned? What are you going to tell your investors? But if you have that huge likability factor and that kind of magnetic something, people go, I, I don't know what it was. People say, no, I don't know why. There was this guy in the street selling stuff, and I don't know why I thought a gold bracelet was $5, but somehow he was so convincing because that's what they do. They convince you because they convince themselves, and that's a shame because that's a bit scammy. But you can turn that around. And if you have something to offer and a good heart and a passion, work hard and can really work on showing that, it, it really helps you to get people to back you and believe in you. No question. If, if you are confident in what you're doing, you know, I think, I think you can rise above all the emotions in the moment. I mean, I, I speak on stage sometimes and it's, it's hair raising to be in front of 15,000 people, you know, mm -hmm. it, it really can be. And yet, if I'm confident, I feel like I can go out there and do it. So I, I saw this thing on an Oliver Stone movie where he had this, uh, this NFL, this uh, football player staring into the mirror. And, he, and the guy was 
had the black paint down the, the eyes, you know, and he's staring into the mirror right before the most important game in his career. And he's saying, you are the best wide receiver in the world. Yes. You are the best wide receiver in the world, right? Like that, just drilling it. And years ago, I started doing that. After I saw the movie, I started doing that in the green room bathroom mirror. I would look at that thing and I would just say, you are the best speaker in the world. You are the best speaker. And I would just get myself into that place yeah. where when I walked out on that stage, I was so confident that I could grab that audience. And then it's sort of funny. It's a self-eating yeah. mechanism. As soon as the audience feels you're there, yeah. they get there and you feel them there and then you're confident and then they're con they're happy and the whole thing starts to roll. For me, it goes the opposite direction. If I start to lose the audience, oh my God, I, I can feel it. I've had flop sweat on stage so bad that it's dropping off my nose. It's just, I go down spiral, right? I'm, I'm kind yeah. of a, yeah, like that. So yeah, it's it's yeah, huge that, how you can feel things. Because we all think it's the words that other people say. You know, we want someone to say, hey, you're great. You're the best. You're the best. But but they have an agenda. But when you say it to yourself, you see, if I said to you, hey, you're the best, you're the best. Oh, my God, you're the best. You go, what do you want? But when you say it, your mind says, well, you must, it must be true. Muhammad Ali said, I told myself I was the greatest before I even knew I was. When I told myself I was the greatest, I became the greatest. And I think, well, that's a great concept. He didn't say, I told myself I'm okay. I have good days, bad days. He says, I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. And people believed what he did, but most of all, he believed it. It's If you can't believe that about yourself, how can anyone else? Like if you're going on a date, don't spend ages, you know, having Botox and having stuff snipped off or put in... Just say, I am the hottest thing on the planet. This person's so lucky. Because if you say it, they believe it. And yet there's a lot of hot people going, well, I've got hairs on my butt and i got a bit of cellulite and my feet are big. And don't do that. Just say, I am magnetic. I'm amazing. I'm fantastic. Because if you say it, the mind learns by repetition. And it's an energy that radiates them, but it affects the person you're around. And a lot, I remember someone saying to me once, you know, yeah, I was going to meet Camilla Parker Bowles. I, was like, I, I won't like her, you know, because she stole Diana. So, but Camilla has always felt that she's magnetically gorgeous. Her father and brother loved her. And he came out, he said, I don't know what happened, but I completely fell in love with her immediately. And she's not beautiful like Diana, but I something about her but she has a magnetic sense of who she is. She thinks she's gorgeous. And why shouldn't she? And if you can just take a minute and think, what do I really want to hear? I want them to say I'm gorgeous or smart or amazing, or they love my product. So don't wait for them to say it. Say it yourself over and over and remember something important. Every word you say is a blueprint that your mind and body and psyche work to make. It's when you go, oh, a terrible memory. I always mess it up. I always go bright red and fall apart. That's your blueprint. You've just made a blueprint. Why don't you flip it over and say, I know what to say. People like me. I've got this natural gift, this great skill. So I'm so good at this particular thing because it's also a blueprint. And since your mind believes that you tell it, you might as well believe something amazing because other people will pick it up too. This is so brilliant. It's so brilliant. We do one more thing <clears throat> I want to mention that I think is a real big help in this regard. Because, I mean, it's hard when people are novices at something and they're in that stage where, I mean, they've, they've gone past the stage where they, they don't know anything, right? And they're in that sort of wonderful place where, you know, I don't know that I don't know and I'm having a great time. And then you get to the place where you know you don't know and it's misery, Right in that place, <clears throat> what we teach people to do and what I started doing right off the bat from my teacher and what Warren Buffett did from his teacher all the way back to Ben Graham in the 1930s is we copy people we already know are really great investors. So, I mean, it would apply to almost anything. If you want to ski well, if you want to play basketball, if you want to write well, you know, ben, Benjamin Franklin became a brilliant writer and all he did is 
read something and then try to write down the paragraph you just wrote and, or just read. So this idea of cloning uh, somebody who's really, really good at it is deeply embedded in our style of investing. We clone all the time. I clone about 40 different investors who I track with what they're buying. <clears throat> and then I'll look at it and, and from that point, make a determination if it's right for me. But that's such a confidence builder, right? I mean, I know that one of the best investors in the world is buying Apple computer right now at $100 a share. The entire world knows he's doing it. Warren Buffett was very public about it. You know, and $100, $120 a share, he's buying Apple computer. And now, you know, a split adjusted, it's $500 a share just a couple of years later. And so how hard would investing be if, how hard would anything be if you can have the best in the world there to copy uh, the guy that the guy that started square uh jim uh, mcelvey is a really really amazing guy he's on the federal reserve board in st louis and and just a superstar investor and he wrote a wonderful book about innovation and um one of the things that he had to say about it was that it's it's just really a matter of putting one foot in front of the other if you have an idea about where you're going and sometimes the idea about where you're going is coming from people who are already there. They're already doing it. They've already got it. Just clone the thing, just take it and, and make it yours. And you have such a starting point, right? From, from that. I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's really great shortcuts to all kinds of things. I mean, getting on top of a great horse in polo is one of the great shortcuts to becoming a great polo player. <laughs> you yeah. just get on a good horse. Yeah. That's it. So what, what are your three top tips? I could talk to you all day. Oh, gosh, this is so much fun. But tell me, if you could give the audience your three top tips, and they could clone them, because you just said, you know, look at what someone does, go, hey, I'll do that. I'll, I'll think like them, act like them, speak like them. Exactly. What are your three top tips for actually mastering your mind? Okay, so, so this is with regard to investing. Okay, this is in regard to taking money and putting it places where, you're, you're owning something more valuable than what you just paid for it. And it's going to continue to get more valuable over time. So this is my, my three top things, I think. <clears throat> the first one is copy Warren Buffett. Okay. He's a stunningly brilliant man. And he has been teaching us how to invest for 60 years. And on his website, which is BerkshireHathaway.com, there's a little button on the front page saying letters from the chairman. Click that and read every one of them. They go back to 1970 and they're fabulous. There's one a year and it is a PhD in proper investing. And so there's, there's the first tip. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Second tip is if you're going to do this, you can't make it a goal. You have to make it a promise to yourself that you're going to keep the, the same way if you went up to someone that you loved and you said, you know, said, Marissa, I love you. We're, we're best friends in the world. And I'm going to get on my knee and I'm going to say, look, at, I, 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 I want you to be my wife. And Marissa, if you'll promise to be my wife, I, it's going to be my goal to never sleep with another woman the rest of my life. It'll be my goal. Right. And you would punch me. You'd say, forget you. So you want to promise, and it's on that level. Some things, goals are great, okay? But this is not that place. This is where you must promise yourself that you will, you will get to a specific financial goal in a specific amount of time, starting right where you are, sign it, date it, make it something that you really believe uh, that, make it, forget about believing it, make it something you look at every day, and it's a promise that you're going to do or die. Burn the ships. That's number two. Okay. Okay. Burn the ships. Number three is eliminate all the noise of the market. Get rid of it all by figuring out, and this is so cool that you, we already talked about this, figuring out what are you passionate about? What are you talented in? Where do you spend your money or where do you make it? Put, put three circles together and write in every one of those circles here are all my passions. Here's all my talents. Here's where all my money goes, or here's where all my money comes from. And find something that's in all three circles. So for example, if you're a teacher, you make your money teaching, 
you're passionate about kids learning and you're very talented at it. You're ex extremely talented teacher. That is where you start your investing career right there, because this is going to be something that pulls you in. And there are 30 companies out there in the market that are all about teaching. They're about books. They're about private education. They're about schools. They're about private institutions. So you can begin wherever you are, wherever you already have expertise and eliminate all of this fearful noise about all these different companies you don't know anything about and how does anybody find out about it and go right to what you know. I started Harley-Davidson Motorcycles. That was where I felt really comfortable. That and guns. Those were the, those were the two things I felt like I knew a lot about from my experience in the military, in war, and as a guide, and I, I just drove a motorcycle everywhere. I had a Harley. So I could begin right there and I could figure out what companies were wonderful, what were not wonderful, what I should pay for something. And then I waited patiently until something went on sale and bought it. My daughter started this process. Her first company she bought was Whole Foods. It's where she wow. shopped all day long. That's where she shopped. She loved it. She's passionate about it. Learned all about it, felt comfortable, bought it, and son of a gun, Amazon bought that stock from her about wow, nine months cool. later. Gosh, that's impressive. So you really do walk your talk. I'm yeah, you really impressed. do. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. This has been amazing, really amazing. And, um, you know, you just reminded me as we talked because many years ago, this guy came to me and said, you know, um, I can make everybody money, but I can't make money myself. And I don't know what that is. And when I spoke to him, he was telling me about his dad. His dad and his brother were in Vietnam. His dad died. His brother came back crippled. And he had this real guilt. Mm. I don't deserve to be successful. They didn't have success, so why should I? And we had to reverse that. So they would love me to be successful. And by the way, you could really help your brother a lot if he became successful. But that guilt... That fear, that feeling of I'm not worth it and I don't deserve it. So I've loved speaking to you. I think you've taught me so much. I know our audience will love you. Where can they find you? Ah, well, we put together a website called Rule One Investing, R-U-L-E-O-N-E investing.com. And on it, we give away a lot of tools for you to try to kind of figure out what it looks like for you in the future, you know, how do, how do you, how do your finances stack up today to where you want to be? And I think, um, and there's some great tools for beginning to learn investing there. And of course we teach classes on investing. So we'd love to share those things with all of all the people who are watching. Thank you for listening to master your mind with Marissa. I'm Marissa Peer, founder and creator of rapid transformational therapy known as RTT. RTT is my life's work and passion combined into a unique and proven program for therapists to create powerful change with their clients. I feel blessed every day to see the transformations it brings and the ripple effect it's creating in the therapy world. To find out more, visit rtt.com.